Now, I want you to imagine that you are a, a bookmaker. Perish the thought, but just imagine it, that you're a bookmaker in, in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. What odds would you give that the small band of people who follow Jesus of Nazareth, crucified 50 days ago, what odds would you give that one day those people would plant their flag in every country in the world? To the Jewish people, what the Christians believe is blasphemy. To say, to say that the man who said he was God, first of all, was then crucified on a cross, utter blasphemy. And to the Greek people, to everyone else, the Christian gospel is nonsense. To say that, uh, that God could become a man for a start and then he could rise from the dead, it's unscientific. And so why, despite all the odds, has the Christian church filled the whole world today? Why are people still coming to Christ in droves after all this time? Why has Jesus never, ever, ever gone out of fashion in 2,000 years? Well, we can trace the answer to those questions back to this very chapter in Acts and the events that happened outside a house in Jerusalem about 2,000 years ago. Because the only explanation for the growth of the church is that there must be some supernatural power behind the message that it preaches, defying all the odds, confounding all the skeptics. Why else do so many people, even today, believe this message about Jesus, even when all logic says that they shouldn't? What is it about this gospel that defies the odds and is always bringing people to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, to put their hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I want to leave three reasons with you this morning why that is the case and why it might even be the case in your experience. And the first reason is because the Christian gospel is speech that confirms, verse 1 to 4. The gospel is speech that confirms. You know, sometimes I'm driving along with my children and the car stops and you hear the voice from the back, why aren't we moving, Dad? And I say, well, because the lights are at red. What does red mean? Stop, they say, wait. What does green mean? Go. Now remember, Jesus said to his disciples in chapter 1, verse 4 of, of Acts, he says to the disciples, don't leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. See, Jesus has been raised from the dead, and within 50 days, something miraculous something life-transforming would happen to those 12 men. Until then, the light is at red. Wait, don't move from Jerusalem, says Jesus. 
God is going to create something new, something living, something powerful from what Jesus did on the cross. The violent wind, the tongues of fire, the foreign language sermons, it's like, it's like God saying, wherever you are, wherever you go, wherever you speak my word, whoever you speak to, I am with you, says God. I'm going to be with you. But you will receive power, chapter 1, verse 8, when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, the surrounding area, and to the ends of the earth. This is what Jesus says. Before any of these things have happened, Jesus says this. Yes, there's a magnificent temple down the road in Jerusalem. But God says, I've moved out of there. The curtain is torn. My place is with the church. With ordinary Christians and gospel mission. Now, if the church is God's temple today, if the living God is in our midst, even in the midst of a small congregation like this, what does that say about church? What does it say about our services? What does it say about how we treat other, each other as Christians if God is in our midst? What does it say about what you do with your body and how you live your life? See, if the Holy Spirit makes the Holy Church, should it not be treated in a holy way? Should it not be treated as special and valued and cared for? Let me ask you, how do you treat your church? How do you treat it? Do you value it as something very, very special? Is it worthy of your time, of your energy, of your commitment? Doesn't Pentecost show us how very special the church is? Now, did you know that the word that is translated spirit here can also be translated wind or breath? Just imagine a, a, a baby in the womb, all squashed up, silent in its mum's belly. But when it comes out, what happens to that baby? All the, the air from the surrounding area rushes in and, and, and fills its lungs, doesn't it? And that baby lets out a, an almighty scream. Ah! Maybe you've been there. Well, Pentecost is just like the Holy Spirit filling the, the church's spiritual lungs with air that she might shout the gospel message to the ends of the earth. And did you know that every time, every time you tell someone of the Lord Jesus Christ, you confirm the words of Jesus. You will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. The light is no longer red. It is green for go. It's time to shout about Jesus. It's time to go with the gospel. It's time to speak to the nations about Christ. This is the time to do it. 
If you know the Lord Jesus, will you play your part in that great work? Will you pray? Will you give? Will you go? Will you speak? Now, Pentecost happened in the Old Testament Feast of Weeks. It was a harvest festival when the first fruits of the harvest were offered to, to God. And here we see the, the first fruits of, a, of an even greater harvest. You know, if you speak to, to some Christians, they, they have a desire to, to go back to Acts 2. They think, we need to take the church back to Acts 2, to Pentecost. That's when it was the glory time of the church, the great time of the church. But don't long to go back to Acts 2. Acts 2 is a sign of greater things to come. Acts 2 is pointing us forward. Acts 2 is only the first fruits. So why not think big about God? Think big about mission. Think big about the church. If Acts 2 is only the first fruits, and Acts 2 is amazing, but if it is only the first fruits, the first offerings, what will the full harvest be like? What is God, if God is doing great things then, what is God going to do in the future? You know, if there were great opportunities for the, the gospel then, what is it like now? With Bible translations and the internet and jet travel and mass immigration and people movements. Isn't the world full of opportunities for the gospel now? Will you look for those opportunities? Remember, Pentecost is only the start of world mission. It's not the end. There are still a lot of people still to hear the gospel. Now, why did all this happen? Well, very simply, because Jesus said it would, didn't he? Doesn't the speech of Pentecost confirm the speech of Jesus? Jesus said, you'll be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. And what has happened? The churches are his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Now, if Jesus got it right about Pentecost and the growth of the church and world mission, what about everything else that Jesus said? What about everything that Jesus said about himself? About you? What about what Jesus said about you? About me? About sin? About repentance? About salvation? What about everything Jesus said about heaven and hell? Do you think Jesus might be right about those things as well? And what if he is? What does that mean for you if Jesus is right about all those things? So the gospel has, has made progress because it is speech that confirms, it confirms the words of Christ himself. Then secondly, the gospel is not only speech that confirms, it is speech, verse 5 to 13, that connects. The gospel is speech that connects. You know, all over the world isn't English 
uh, a language that connects. We, we talk about the, the English-speaking world, don't we? And, and for many others, English is a, a second language. 2,000 years ago, Greek was the, the English of the ancient world. Well, people had their own language, their own dialect, but when they got together, they spoke in Greek. If they met foreigners, they spoke in Greek. The Feast of Pentecost drew in Jews from all over the world to, to Jerusalem. And like many foreign tourists to, to Britain, they would really struggle to understand people with a strong northern accent. Trust me, it's true. And yet, what do, do these people say when they hear the, the disciples who are northerners speaking? Utterly amazed, verse 7, they say. Aren't all these uh, who are speaking Galileans? They're from the north. Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? We hear them declaring God's wonders in our own dialect. It's a speech that connects, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? You don't have to learn a foreign language to hear God's word. You can hear it in your own language, your heart language, your dialect. You don't have to speak the king's English or polished Welsh, do you? Remember Pentecost. And don't the supernatural events of Pentecost foreshadow the work of preachers and Bible translators who take the gospel to people, not in their language, but in the, the language of those that they're taking the gospel to? Now, you don't even have to go overseas to do this, do you? Down in Neath or Swansea, I'm sure even here in Cliddach, many different languages will be spoken. Now, you wouldn't even need to leave home or give up your job to use those languages to tell other people about, about Jesus. Why not try learning a Bible verse in a foreign language or a phrase from the Bible? Someone would love to hear you speak it. I remember many years ago in, in Northern Ireland, I did a mission there. There was a Spanish boy in the team, and I said to him, Juan, teach me John 3.16 in Spanish. And so he did. And I memorized it. And every time I meet somebody who is Spanish, I say, well, I know a bit of Spanish. And I start off, porque de tal manera and all that. And they love it. People love to hear you speaking their own language. Can you imagine it? You can witness to people. You can tell them about Christ. And they won't be offended by it. They will love to hear it. Why not learn a phrase, a verse in someone else's language? And God will give you the opportunity, I'm sure, to use it. As I've had the opportunity many times through the years. But you know, it's one thing to hear the message. It's another thing what you do with it, isn't it? Look how there are two different responses here in this passage. To some people who heard this message, it sounded, this sounded like Babel, the Tower of Babel, reversed. Look how people are drawn to Christ because the speech 
connects. Verse 12, amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Their interest is aroused. To some, though, some others it sounds like Babel, not reversed but revisited. The speech confuses, and so they reject it. Verse 13, some, however, made fun of them and said they've had too much wine. So let me ask you this morning, how are you hearing this message? Are you saying what the preacher is saying chimes with me? I'm drawn to it. I get what he's saying about God and the Lord Jesus. There must be something in it. I need to know more. And you feel yourself drawn to the gospel. Or are you saying, you know, that guy's talking a load of nonsense. How can anyone possibly believe that? I've heard more sense from the guys down the pub. On which side of the divide are you this morning? Is the speech that connects connecting with you? Or are you disconnected? So the gospel makes progress because it's speech that confirms the words of Christ. And the gospel makes progress because it actually connects with people who hear it and believe it. But then thirdly and finally, the gospel is, makes progress because it is speech that converts. Verse 14 to 21. Not only connects, but converts. You know, it's never easy to speak of the Lord Jesus when people are laughing at you, is it? So look at Peter's courage now. What a change the Holy Spirit makes. Peter's no longer a chicken, is he? Peter is a lion. Now you might think when you read these verses, couldn't Peter have picked an easier Bible passage for his sermon? I don't think I would have come this morning and preached to you in Joel 2. What's all this about wonders in heaven, signs in the earth and Blood and fire and billows of smoke. Well, think back to last year when the, the Queen died. And the world seemed to go all quiet, didn't it? And dignified. There was a hush. And people were very subdued. But when the Lord Jesus dies, it's so very different, isn't it? It's as if God takes the whole cosmos and he gives it a big shake. The sun turns dark at midday. There is a violent earthquake. Graves are opened and people walk out. And now here in Acts 2, there's this wind and fire and all these uneducated people speaking in foreign languages. Why? Because this is a new day. This is the great and glorious day of the Lord, the start of the last days. Christ has died for our sins. And now everyone who calls in the Lord's name, everyone who calls in the Lord's name will be saved. They will be converted. Look at verse 17. At who will receive God's spirit? And who will speak his word? Peter says, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. 
Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And they will prophesy. Sons, daughters, children, young people, old people, men and women, all can share God's word. All can speak of Christ. You know, you don't need to say when somebody asks you about the Lord Jesus, well, go and speak to the pastor. Or come and speak to the elders. They'll tell you about Christ. You can tell them. You can tell them. Older people, you can speak of Christ. Or maybe your best days are behind you. And you think to yourself, why am I still here? Of what use am I? Let me tell you, if you're not dead, you're not done. How many people in this church are over 70 and are still serving Christ? Young people, you can speak of Christ. Ladies too, and men. Often the ladies are better at it than the men. But men, you can speak of Christ. You don't need to be a leader in the church. You don't need to have done a theology degree. You don't need to have done special training or classes. If you belong to Christ, you can speak of Christ. For you have the Holy Spirit. And isn't he all that you need to tell other people about the Lord? And if you've heard God's word, how have you responded to it? Have you called in the name of the Lord? Have you said, Lord, save me? Because everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's a promise. If you do it, you'll be saved. If you call in his name, you'll be saved. You don't need to know all the answers about the Christian faith. You don't need to know your Bible from back to front. You just need to feel your need as a sinner, and to call on his name, the Lord's name. Forgive me, Lord. I trust you, Lord. I come to you, Lord. I give my life to you, Lord. Have you said that to the Lord? Have you called in his name? Have you been converted? Well, isn't the time to do that? This the time to do that. For these are the last days. Days that fulfill all that has gone before. Days of opportunity to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Great days. But limited days. Because they're the last days. Will you hear the message this morning? with faith? Will you come to Christ before it's too late? Will the speech that converts convert you this morning? And we pray 
that it would if you haven't been converted, that you would come to Christ and that you would place your faith and trust 